Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this service, we hope to see you this Sunday at either 8.45 a.m. for our praise and worship service or 11 a.m. for our traditional service. Now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning. So, I apologize in advance after I got through the sermon in the first service. I was like, man, that might be one of the most boring sermons I've ever done before in my life. I'm not joking. Is that encouraging for you this morning? No? Okay, well, good. Um, Not good, but I'm just being honest with you. See, uh, today we're going to talk all about leadership, and I have uh, mainly, we're talking about church leadership, and I have a lot of information for you. Because of the life cycle of the church, I pretty much took two sermons and put them together, and I made an executive decision for you on your behalf. We could have one, because we needed to talk about this, so we could have one, a kind of dry sermon, very informative, a lot of teaching, that was about 35 minutes, or a great, engaging, fun sermon that was about an hour and a half. Which one would you have preferred? The 35-minute one? I made that decision for you. See, I knew you already. And so just we have to understand that today, and especially if you're visiting, today's different uh, because we're talking about church leadership. Today's an important time in the life of our church um, because you've received in your worship guide some deacon nominations. And so what we ask you to do is to take those deacon nominations home and prayerfully consider who you would like to nominate for a deacon. Then you could bring those nominations to the office this week or next Sunday, like, if you're not going to be here next Sunday, you can bring them in this week, we'll collect them. Or next Sunday, we're going to compile the nominations together next week. And then the following week, you'll be electing uh, five deacons to serve, to, to come on uh, the deacons. And so, this is an important time in our church, so it's, we're going to focus on that, talk about this idea of church leadership, so we get a good understanding of what the Bible teaches us about that. Last week, we talked about... Well, service. You guys remember that? Some of y'all were here? Okay. So last week we talked about service and we saw kind of the biblical job description for a pastor. Today we're going to talk about pastors and deacons, okay? And so last week we saw the biblical job description for a pastor. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip God's people for work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. As we explained last week, a pastor's job is to equip or to train people for the work of ministry, right? Because as you know, it's impossible for a pastor to do all the ministry, kind of like a coach equips and trains and encourages others to play the game. That's what a pastor is to do for the church, to equip and train and encourage people to use their gifts. Because at the end of the day, we believe God has gifted you, yes, even you, through his Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts. And because of that, we want to help you and equip you and train you to use them for his glory. By the way, last week we had had 58 people turn in a sheet to volunteer for 2020. Many of you who are already on teams did not fill out sheets. And so we just have an amazing start for 2020 with a ton of people stepping up to be a part of what's going on here at First Baptist Church. So that's, that's very exciting. And so today, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 6, where we're going to dive and see this idea of pastors and deacons. 
Uh, Acts is a book, if you didn't know, all about what happens after uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a literal historical account. If you like history, this is the book for you because it's in a historical account of what the people did who saw Jesus rise from the grave. I mean, it, it's their account of, of what happened and how the early church got formed and introduces us in Acts chapter 6 to a problem that they faced. And here's what happened. It's Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the church was growing, and as you can imagine, in any growing organization, the church is no different. When the church starts to grow and more people come, what happens? More problems, right? Because people bring problems. It's just part of it. And so they had a problem. These one set of widows said, hey, we're not getting taken care of like this other set of widows. And so it was a concern, which it should have been. So look what they do. It says, so they took it, excuse me, so they took it to the disciples. It says, so the 12 gathered, that's the apostles, all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So it's pretty simple. There was a problem arose within this gathering. It needed to be addressed, and so the apostles said, listen, some other people needed to step up. And it's not that the apostles didn't think it was important. Of course they thought the widows being overlooked was important. But they realized there's only so many hours in a day. There's only so much time we all have. And they knew they'd been called by God. They knew they'd been... Can you turn me down some? They knew they'd been called by God to preach and to pray. So they said, if we don't continue preaching and praying, we're neglecting what God's called us to do. So we will continue to preach and pray. And so you choose some other people to step up and take this responsibility. Verse 5 says, And this proposal pleased the whole group. So this division of labor pleased everyone. And notice, this is right at the beginning, right at the start of the church. They didn't have the organizational elements all figured out. They didn't have like flow charts and all this stuff figuring out who's supposed to do what. As needs arose, they responded with people stepping up. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. And it tells us the other six men they chose to, to be this group. And then verse 6 says, They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. That's where we see this idea of ordination coming into play. Verse 7 says, So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so the church faced the problem. And in that problem, they brought it to the apostles, and they delegated those responsibilities. And what happened? The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. The church grew. Instead of expecting one group to do everything, they started delegating and the church started growing. And while this title does not address specific titles because they haven't been developed or offices yet, we, have, we see there's this division of the spiritual elements happening and then the physical, practical elements happening. We see that some are called to teach and preach and prayer, the apostles. 
And then others were called to step up and, and arise and minister to the needs of people. And what we see in the New Testament, this evolves into two distinct offices in the scriptures. We have elders and deacons. Now, if you've been raised a Baptist and you just heard that word elder, you just cringed. You're like, hold on now. That's a Presbyterian thing. We're not Presbyterian. Hold on. It's okay. Let's discover biblical language and we'll understand we're probably on the same page after all. But we see these two distinct groups being formed and addressed, elders and deacons. For instance, look how Paul addressed Paul and Timothy. They both wrote the letter uh, to the church at Philippi. Scholars tend to think this letter was written about 50 to 60 A.D., which means it's only 20 or 30 years after Jesus, which means the original apostles were still around, people were still doing their thing. And it says this. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people, so that's the church, we have all of God's people, the church, in Christ at Philippi, together with the overseers, the deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here identifies three groups. He says, well, I'm, I'm talking to the whole church, but with the church, I'm talking to this overseeing group, and then I'm also talking to the deacons. And what I want to teach you this morning, maybe challenging for some, but what I want to teach you is that in the Bible, there are three words used interchangeably all talking about the same type of leader, this office called, well, pastor. The word overseer, some translations say bishop, elder and pastor are all the same thing. As we mentioned last week, the word pastor, the noun pastor, referring to church leadership is found how many times in the Bible? Do you remember? Once. The noun pastor referring to church leadership, is only found one time in the New Testament. The word pastor literally means shepherd. In the Palestinian background, they were familiar with shepherds and sheep and flocks and that whole thing. So the word pastor is actually shepherd. It was a metaphor describing what leaders do. More commonly, to shepherd or to pastor, the verb is used all throughout the scriptures, more commonly referring to church leadership, we see the word elder. Acts 20, 17, Paul says this. I want to show you this. Acts 20, 17 says, For Malthus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the, what of the church? Elders. And by the way, it's always a plurality. We'll talk about that a different day. But he sent for the elders of the church. So this is Paul, he's in Ephesus, he's saying goodbye to this group of people he spent many years with. He knows he's never going to see him again. He's going to Jerusalem, he's been warned that he's going to be arrested and beaten. So this is Paul's farewell speech to this group that he loves. So he calls the elders together and says this in verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's that word bishop or overseers. So he calls the elders together and says the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Be what? Yeah, pastor, shepherd. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And this is the clearest example we have in the scriptures. This conversation, Paul calls the elders together and he says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, because that's what they do. They oversee the church. 
And he says to shepherd them, to pastor them. Like, you know, sheep, flock, we get it. To shepherd this group of people. Peter says something similar in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also share in the glory to be revealed. Be what? Shepherds. There it is again. This idea of pastoring. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. You see, the most common word for church leadership in the scripture is elder. And, and, and you probably know other denominations use it all the time. It's very common. And in Baptist churches, it's not common. But the primary biblical word for church leadership is elder, and they are told to shepherd the people. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you, well, who, served, who, who has served on a pastor search committee here? Okay, several of you, okay. Hopefully we don't have any more for a long time here at our church. We've had a lot recently. We're good. We've got a good staff now. But if you've ever served on a pastor search committee, or if you've ever gone through the process of it, which is me, Rocky, we have all seen this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's called the qualifications for a pastor. In seminary, we have to study it. We get convicted by it. Every search committee reads it and tells every candidate, hey, you have to meet these qualifications. Look what it says. It says, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer. Well, hold on, what about pastor? No. He uses the word overseer, desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be. You see, the only way that this can be a qualification list for a pastor is if we agree that an overseer and a pastor is the same thing. We've already seen that Paul says an overseer is an elder, excuse me, um, elders are to oversee, have been appointed as overseers. So notice the biblical qualifications of a pastor are never mentioned, but that of an overseer is. And so all I'm trying to show you, and this is important, you'll see why, is the biblical evidence, evidence when we see overseer, when we see shepherd, excuse me, when we see pastor and we see elder, they are used interchangeably to describe this certain office, this certain job in the local church. And for us, we're probably familiar with pastor the most, but it's used one time. Elder referring to church leadership is used 39 times in the New Testament. It's used a total of 66 times, but 39 are referring to church Leadership. That's a lot, isn't it? It's used 39 times more than pastor, referring to church leadership. And then overseer is used five times referring to church leadership, and one time referring to Christ being the overseer of our souls. So if we come back to the New Testament, we see the idea of pastor, elder, overseer, or the same thing. Just different metaphors describing what they do. And we see that they are the spiritual leaders of the church. We're going to see in the qualification list in a minute why. So we see that in Acts 6, there was a problem in the church. A group, Peter said, hey, we're going to delegate this, right? He, he called himself an elder. He says, we're going to take care of the ministry of the word. We're going to take care of praying. And then we're going to bring some other people along who can help us with this. And so look at what Paul says. In 1 Timothy 3, this is the qualifications for this, this, this overseer, elder, pastor. He says, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. 
Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, tempered, tempered, self-control, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Notice able to teach. I don't have it highlighted up there, but it should be. Notice able to teach. Able to teach. Not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not the lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Pause real quick. Did you know it's a biblical qualification for a pastor or elder, whatever you want to call it, to take care of the family and manage it well? Like a pastor who doesn't spend time with his family is unqualified biblically? I mean, this is a big deal. That's why we make sure, our, and you guys let us have it, but we are very protective that pastors spend time with their kids and their families because it's a biblical qualification for them to even serve. Keep going. He says, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So those are the general qualifications of an overseer, an elder, or a pastor. And when we understand biblical language for leadership, we'll realize that the Bible has a lot to say when it comes to elders, pastor, or overseer. Now let's turn, we got that, we're like, okay, I understand that's a type of leader, we get that. Now let's turn our attention to deacons, because that's what Paul does next in verse 8. He says this, in the same way, Deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must, be first, they must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate, trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and household well. You see the same thing for deacons there. And those who served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, we talked about this a little last week. Let's just continue it out. The word deacon literally means what? Servant. Okay, we got that. And now from that, the idea that these were servants, we get their title. Remember, it didn't start off as a title like the... Jesus didn't say, here are the titles, find the people. The titles came from their function, what they were doing within the church. So deacon literally means servant. And we talked about this last week, but what else can servant be translated and is commonly translated in our Bibles? Ministry. Remember we talked about that ministry and service is the same thing. It's the same word. It's deaconing in the Bible. For clarity, the noun deacon in Greek is translated as both deacon and minister. When you talk about serving, you have deaconing and ministering. And for me, it really caught me off guard what's popular in our area, and it's a culture thing. I talked to Scott after the last service. Culturally, the term minister is used a lot here in this area. But minister, and it's okay to call a pastor a minister, we should be servants too. But the word minister means servant. And why, that, why titles are important is because if you try to find a qualification list for a minister, well, it's a deacon. 
when you understand what a pastor and elder is, it takes it very differently. And then you can go, when you rediscover biblical language, you know whether they're pastors or elders, then you have a whole new set of things to work through. But the word minister literally means deacon. That's how it's used in the scripture. That's what it is. And so deacons are servants, ministers of the church. And so the main difference we see in this qualification list in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that an overseer is to be able to teach. What does that mean? Well, the pastor must be able to teach God's word. Because if you're going to lead someone spiritually, how do you lead them? All right, through the Bible. If you can't teach someone the scriptures, if you're not gifted to teach, how can you lead somebody? Not by your thoughts and your feelings, right? We want to lead by God's word. We would agree with that. And so in order to lead, i got to be able to teach you and show you where I'm leading you from. So that's, that's the main difference between an overseer, elder, a pastor, and a deacon is the ability to teach. However, they still have to, for a deacon, it says, must hold to the deep truths of the faith. While they are not required to teach, they must have a strong faith in Jesus Christ. Scholar Dr. Larson says this, referring to 1 Timothy 3.9, he says, this is a warning against allowing into leadership people who are ungrounded in the Christian faith or who adhere to strange or unfounded doctrines. This practice had created deep problems in the Ephesian church as false teachers assumed leadership positions. So a deacon doesn't have to teach, because I know sometimes that scares us from serving in leadership. We think we've got to teach. A deacon does not have to have the gift of teaching, but they must hold deep to the Christian faith. They must hold to orthodoxy. And as you go through your nomination this week, I ask you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. Pray about it. Look at the qualifications. So as you're nominating people, we're looking at these biblical guidelines. And so to bring it together, deacons are the servants of the church. But does that mean they can't lead? Well, of course they can lead. We're all called to servant leadership. Just like in Acts 6, when there was a problem, they took it to the apostles, the apostles handed that responsibility over to somebody else, which were the deacons. Well, if that's your responsibility, you're then the leader of that responsibility. So, of course, they're servant leaders of the church. Both pastors and deacons are servant leaders. However, how they serve the church is very different. Pastors should be leading biblically, and an influence, well, of course, everybody should, but you understand what I'm saying. Pastors should be leading spiritually through God's word and able to teach and lead us that way. Deacons then serve the church by taking care of the physical and the other things that happen throughout just coming together as a body of Christ. So both serve just very differently. And when you connect this back to Acts chapter 6, we see that this division of labor caused the word of God to spread. Isn't that what we want to see? Don't we want to see the word of God spread? Don't we want to see people come to the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ? And that's how. It's when there was a division of labor that they worked together to accomplish the goal of preaching the gospel. And so here at First Baptist Church, the deacons play a very important role. They play a very important role as serving as the corporate board. All right, the last service, everyone went, ugh. Wow, y'all know what that is. All right, who knows what a corporate board is? 
All right, good. I'm going to tell you about it. Now, just quick, just try to pay attention. So how our legal system operates in our country, first we have to understand our legal system didn't exist when this was written. Do we understand that? Yeah, we don't have an emperor, do we? No, okay, right. Our legal system works differently, right. And so for our world where we live today, we need a corporate board. That's how our government system works. And the deacons, and the deacons serve as that board. Luckily for us, the state dictates what they do, what a corporate board has to do. And so the deacons have the fiduciary responsibility of policies, administration, operations, finances, property, and legal. These are all things that any corporate board has the responsibility to watch over and care for. And all of those things I just named, all of them are physical things. Because can the courts make a ruling about spiritual matters? The answer is no. And so this works out perfectly. When you understand the biblical understanding that the deacons took care of the physical aspects and the pastors took care of the spiritual aspects, they led, they taught, things like that, we can see how the deacons serving as the corporate board works perfectly. They take care of the administration and the property and money and policies and things like that. And so a biblical model of leadership is an amazing thing. It really helps people play their part, and we're lucky here that we have an amazing deacons. We have a great group of men and women who lead well and really take the burden off of the staff in so many areas. And so with that, when you're thinking about the nominations, think about what you're asking someone to do, because it's a big task. But we need you. Because you serve and help us carry out ministry oh so well. So, now that we've laid that out, you may be saying, Brian, you were right. This was the most boring sermon you've ever preached before. You're pointing to your visitor saying, please come back next week. It's going to be better. It will. You may be asking, Brian, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with the individual person? Like, I get God has brought pastors and we have deacons, but I'm neither of those. So what about me? I am so glad you asked and that we're always on the same page with these type of questions, that we're, we're just in sync. Because the writer of Hebrews tells us what to do with this information. It's found in Hebrews chapter 13. Now, to give you an overview of Hebrews, chapter 1 through 12 is very deep, very theological. In chapter 13, he just writes these like one-liners all the time. And what I picture happening, I could be wrong, is he wrote so much in the first 12, he said, I have so much more I want to talk about but I only got a piece of paper left. And so they had to just jot down his thoughts. He couldn't expound on them. He kind of got long-winded. You ever met a long-winded pastor? Ever said amen? Okay, good. So you get it. I think that's what happened. But in this, he says something that they title it his concluding exhortations. Here's what he says. Verse 17, Hebrews 13, 17. He says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. All right, first, this, I know this is, a bad, this is going to rub all of us the wrong way. It's okay. It's, it's uncomfortable for me to talk about, but it's important. He says, first, the writer says to have confidence in our leaders. This is one reason, as Baptists, we vote for leadership. Because I cannot think of another way to show confidence in the people other than electing them in the congregation, affirming the leaders. See, Baptists have been right the whole time. We already knew that. Now you guys know it too. This is one way we show confidence. We don't believe in just appointing. We believe in that the church affirms them. So we have confidence in the leaders by electing them. And then because 
well, we've asked them to lead. We should let them lead. You see, he says, after you elect them, have confidence in your leaders. He says, submit to. That word might bother you, but all it means is to yield to them, yield to their decisions. And the whole idea is if we've elected them and asked them to lead, well, we should let them do what we've asked them to do. So he says you submit to their authority. And this is where it gets fun, because if you're like me, anybody else have a problem with authority? Just me at this service? Last service was full of me's, okay? We're Baptists. We all have problems with authority. I already know the answer to that. But here's all it is, and this should make you kind of relax a little bit. When it comes to authority, it's simply the influence we give somebody over our lives. Authority is the influence you give somebody over your lives. All organizations give people authority to exercise decisions on behalf of the organization. That was a big way of saying your organization has given your boss to make decisions, authority to do that, correct? Yeah, we know that. That's how the world works. And so it's the same thing here. When it comes to the local church, the church collectively has decided to give authority of certain things to certain groups of people. They give the staff certain authority. They give the deacon certain authority and so on and so on. Where is that found at? Anybody know the document that's found in? The bylaws. Who's, who've read our bylaws? Who gets burnt out on bylaws? Yep, same, same amount of people except Michael raised their hand. Lawyers. Oh, they love this stuff, I tell you. No, but the bylaws, and that's why it's an important document. It's not just something to get upset about. Bylaws are extremely important. Because as congregationalists, this is important, Baptist, as congregationalists, we can't be here for every decision. You would not want to have that many business meetings. So what the congregation has done is they've delegated certain things to certain groups of people. And when we delegate it to the deacons and to the pastors and things like that, we delegate it to them and ask them to make these decisions based on our behalf. But at the end of the day, the congregation rules here. The congregation is the final authority, but they give that authority to others to practice it for them. And so he says, he's being extremely pragmatic He's saying, have confidence in your leaders. We're saying, well, we do that because we elect them. He said, of course. And allow them to lead in the areas you've asked them to lead. If you've asked them to lead in this area, then actually let them do it. And it says, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. And if you're in leadership, this should make you think, as your pastor, I can tell you this frightens me. This creates urgency in me that you see in my speech and actions that I will have to stand before God and give an account for my pastoral leadership to him. Whew, that's frightening. But this is a wake-up call for all parties. This is a double thing here. He's saying, church, okay, church, have confidence in your leaders because you're the one who put them in place. We can say that here. You've elected them in a place. You've asked them to lead, so allow them to do what you've asked them to do. Oh, by the way, leaders you're going to have to give an account to God for how you lead. So it's kind of a wake-up call to all of us to go, wow, this is pretty serious. But look at what he says. He says this, do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. This is the most practical application, I think, found in the Bible. He says, submit to what you've asked them to do so their work will be a joy. Not a burden. Let me ask you a question. Do you want the leadership of the church to be joyful or feel burdensome? 
Right, joyful. The word burden means groan or complain. He is directly relating to how we respond to leaders to then how they feel. He's saying if you're making it hard on leaders, it's going to hurt the church. And so when we think about this, for us, how do we want people to respond when we're in the room? Well, think about it at work. When you see someone walking down the hallway, is there some people you see and you go, oh, here they come, and you try to duck into the first conference room? You try to hide in the bathrooms? Yeah, and then other people you see and you're excited and you're happy about talking to, that's the idea here. We don't want this to be an environment to where leaders are walking around going, uh-oh, here they come, oh no. What are they going to say to me today? Or when that email pops up, we go, uh-oh. And we wouldn't want that. Just like we wouldn't want you to feel that way about us. And so he's saying, do you want people to consider your presence joyful or burdensome? When you walk into a meeting, you walk into a room, you talk to people, do you want them to be, feel joyful? Or do you want them to feel burdened? How do you relate to people? Some of us say, well, I don't really care how people think. Well, the challenge is maybe you should. Because that's what the writer of Hebrews is calling us to, to pay attention. Now, we don't want leaders who are tired, burnout, weary. We want them to be joyful and excited about what the Lord is doing. And so in my kind of summary, what he's saying, he says, allow leaders to do what you've asked them to do. I mean, it couldn't get any simpler than that. By submitting to the authority you have given them, so the work will be joyful, and that will benefit you greatly. So we've looked at a lot this morning. We see that the New Testament describes two offices. We see this idea of elder, pastor, overseer. And I encourage you to research it if you don't believe me. I promise you it's true. But you can research it and go through it. And I'd love to sit down and talk to you about it. But it's right. And then we have elders. I meant deacons. Both are very important servant leaders of the church who are called to do different things, but collectively come together for the glory of God. Because at the end of the day, luckily for us, Jesus told us something very important. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to whom? Him. We already know who's in charge. His name is Jesus Christ. And all of us operate under that to serve him and bring him glory in all that we do. And so again, this is an important time in our church. I take leadership very serious, as I know you do. So when you're nominating deacons or you're thinking about pastors and you're trying to make sense of how all this works, there it is. This will be online for you to go back and listen to it, and I'd love to talk to you about it as much as you possibly need. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day that we can come together and worship you. Father, we just pray that you get all the glory. Father, as we think through leadership and, and kind of how the Bible lays it out, we just pray that we are seeking you and we are electing deacons to come on for 2020. That we, we listen to the biblical qualifications, we listen to your spirit, and we allow that to lead and inform us. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing at our church. We love you and thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.